Welcome to another episode of the Providence Friarcast, presented, presented by, by PCBB 1917.com. Your home for Providence College basketball news, notes, and opinions. Now here's the founder of PCBB 1917.com and your host, Mike Hopkins. It was a special game for the Friars, who were surprised by the return of Emmett Holt in the locker room prior to the start of the game. I appreciate him a lot. The biggest thing for him is that he's that constant for our team, I think. The biggest constant where every day he's going to challenge you, like Kyron said, and every day he's going to support you. So that's something that we always missed. And just seeing him and being in the hallways and always jumping around and being the hype guy that he's always is, I think that's the thing we missed the most. Having him in that locker room was a dream of all of our players. He uplifted us, you know, um, you want to talk about the right timing, right place, right school, right fit. It's really touching to see that young man in our locker room. Thanks for joining us here on Episode 9 of the Providence Friarcast. Chris, Brendan, and I back together this week after my dad filled in last week. But we're back to action here with the, uh, the regular group. After the break, you're going to hear us talk Providence versus DePaul. Thoughts on the mic'd up broadcast that Fox Sports 1 put on for that game. Providence's uh, win over Butler, and we're also going to preview Creighton. And some commentary on Rodney Bullock comparing his performances in November and December to how he's been so far in the last couple games with Big East play here. And I want to give a special shout-out to some of my patrons. Uh, That's JLD, John Lee Dumas, Mike Evans, Michael and Kathy Hopkins, also known as my parents, Adam Nagel, Bob Allison, Ron Torbick, Brendan Ryan, Dan Marcus, Joe DeAngelis, Dennis Corbett, Mike Saburn, Ray Penza, Dennis Burns, Alex Simeone, Chris Thurlow, G, Terry Meyer, and Alan Russ. Special shout-out to those guys there. Really helpful. Uh, with the Patreon page, patreon.com slash pcbb1917. For as little as $3 a month, you can get access to our Slack community. $5 a month gets you access to the special recruiting Slack channel. $10, you get a shout-out on the podcast and a few other things. So head over to patreon.com slash pcbb1917, and let's go. All right, we're back for another episode of the Providence Friarcast. Chris, Brendan, and I here together after my dad admirably filled in last week, helping me out. Providence off a 2-0 week since we last spoke with the win Friday night at DePaul, 71-64, and a uh, come-from-behind win a little bit on Saturday at home against Butler, 70-60. So, Chris, let's start with you. Uh, Give me your give me your thoughts on the DePaul game, the Friday night. We'll talk about the mic'd up aspect, but let's go through the game quick. Obviously, a twenty-two nothing run, a little bit, uh, probably the largest aspect of the story. Providence kind of just all of a sudden went nuts. Uh, so, just give me your thoughts from Friday night. Yeah, I mean, the second half was huge. They managed to heat up, which they needed to. I think they were down one at halftime, I believe, and then they outscored. Uh, Paul 37-29 in the second half. So obviously they needed a big half from guys like Alpha and Jalen. Jalen finished with 18, he four for eight or something like that from three. And Alpha had 14 of his 16 in the second half. So obviously a 22-0 run is, is huge. And that was near the midway point 
um, in the second half. And that's really the half that they needed. They needed guys like Alpha to step up. And it's so nice to have them healthy and have, you know, a, a, a for the most part, healthy team besides Malik, obviously. Uh, and it's starting to show a little bit. Uh, but again, I was really impressed with Alpha in that second half. He was great. And Joan was great. Uh, Rodney played pretty well. He was uh, a little stagnant at times, but again, they're learning to kind of cope with some of his inconsistencies, even though he's been great. He had eight rebounds and, and he was good enough and they could run small for a lot of the time and have him at the five, but uh, Alpha and Jalen were great um, in that second half. And, and Isaiah, who we've talked about numerous times, you know, he played 27 minutes and I think he was four for eight from the field. He, I know he had two threes um, down the stretch there. He had 15 points and, and he's such a difference maker for this team. And he's really proven to, to be a difference maker and kind of similar to Kyron, uh, you know, as he goes, the team goes. And when Isaiah plays well and gives him quality minutes, it really seems to show in, in the results of this team. So again, that kind of showed on Friday in Chicago and, and Isaiah gave in a really quality 27 minutes. So that was a real bright spot. Yeah. To that point, um, I was looking at the stats earlier and it really stuck out to me that he was obviously pretty efficient. Like you said, 27 minutes, 15 points, four rebounds. I think he was also five or six at the line, which is which is always good in a close game on, on the road. But the thing that really hit me over the head when I was looking at the stats is he he was the only player on Providence in double figures and plus minus. I don't always love plus minus, but in this case, it was just so ridiculous. The closest guy I think was nine plus nine. He was plus twenty. Right, and plus twenty at twenty seven minutes is pretty good. And I'm I'm with you. I'm not always crazy about plus minus. It can be a little deceptive at times, but. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm really. He was great against Xavier too. He had 18 points in, I think, like 25 minutes, 26 minutes, and again, very efficient. He was four for six from the field in that game, um, and eight for eight. He was perfect. I don't know what it was, but he was perfect from the line against Xavier too. Um, so he's been really great down the stretch uh, over the last since really the Marquette game or something or something like that. I think it was because um, he didn't really do much against Creighton. So I really love the way he's been playing. I'm sure Cooley loves having him as a viable op- option coming off the bench. The other aspect, too, that was interesting, um, Cooley, I think, obviously must have made this one of the big parts of the game plan, but they really contained Max Struess, who was their leading scorer. Uh, he, he went 3 of 13, 2 of 8 from 3, and he played all 40 minutes. So uh, to keep him in single digits, which hasn't really happened a lot this year, and really I, something that I found interesting that they did sort of against Xavier is they were really trying to limit Blewett a lot, which they did, and they sort of allowed... Canter to t- kind of get some easy baskets inside, trading that as long as they had good offense, and that kind of happened again against DePaul. Where they were letting Marich kind of score some points here and there, but they were really containing Struess, who's their their most explosive scorer. So interesting to see going forward. I know they they did the same thing against Butler. We'll talk about that. Keelan Martin really quiet after a career game in the game before against Marquette, uh, but containing Struess was a huge part of it. Uh, one other thing to mention. Uh, Nate Watson dealing with the flu a little bit. Uh, also didn't play much against Butler. He didn't start, actually. Uh, and I think he only played because Cooley got pissed at Young for a minute. Uh, but he's he's clearly still dealing with a little bit of the flu, though hopefully you'd have him back after a week in between games for Creighton. Uh, but just to close out on DePaul, uh, talk, we'll talk a little bit here about the mic'd up. It was a pretty interesting broadcast. I know Chris and I were talking... Uh, Talking a little bit that night and also subsequently about some of the pregame commentary that if you were listening to the Ed Cooley channel, you were treated to, which thankfully did not make air because he might have been arrested. But uh, 
really uh, really a cool overall a very cool broadcast. Um, I asked people on Twitter uh, for some some thoughts, and I'll read some of those tweets um, in a little bit. But really interesting broadcast. I did find myself being very distracted for the first five or so minutes of the game. I remember looking up and being like, "Oh man, there's already been 18 points scored. I didn't even really notice." Because you found found yourself kind of staring at the coach's box a little bit, or trying to really listen to what the coaches are saying. I didn't really buy into the fact that the coaches were too loud. I did think the coaches' boxes are a little too big if they would decide to do this in the future. But overall, I thought it was very cool, and you got a lot of insight into what coaches are saying in the huddle every single time, hearing how they're encouraging players. Cooley obviously listens to his players, which you saw at halftime too, uh, talking about w- whether they prefer man or zone. So let me get your thoughts, Chris. I just thought it was cool overall, maybe a little more of a novelty. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, obviously, um, like you said, it was a little distracting. I wasn't totally paying attention to the game. I was more focusing on Cooley, you know, talking about vampires and stuff like that, which was cool. It was just something different. Um, I do agree with you in saying that maybe if we're going to critique it a little bit, the box of the actual game itself was a little bit small. I uh, actually was doing some other coverage that night uh, for the Washington Wizards, so I had it on my laptop and. I had the game on the game feed on, but just with Cooley's mic in the background. So I was only listening to Cooley. I didn't listen to any of the DePaul side, uh, but I thought it was great. And, you know, obviously they knew what they were doing when they picked Cooley. He's one of the more eccentric coaches in the entire country, let alone the Big East. So he was pretty entertaining. And especially before the game, when you could listen to him in the locker room during warmups, it was pretty funny. He's probably happy it wasn't, uh, wasn't broadcasted on FS1. But it was a lot of fun. It was it was a nice little change and, and gave an interesting uh, perspective on the game, and I'm I'm sure people enjoyed that. About the mic'd up game, I I really I had an opportunity to watch it. I didn't watch it live that night because I was out covering a high school game. But uh, you know, in the beginning, you were kind of like confused and wondered if uh, the announcers to me, uh, Joe Davis and Lynn Elmore, they were uh, they were almost like, you know, there but not there. You didn't even know it because they were almost like wondering, okay, we don't want to step on uh, Dave Lato's toes or Ed Cooley's toes. But, you know, to uh, be fair, I think the Big East knew what they were getting into when they asked Ed Cooley to do this. He was very uh, – he delivered on that front. He was very interesting, almost entertaining. If that's the way he typically behaves during a game, I thought the um, the Dracula vampire reference when there was blood – on the court, that was uh, the jersey. I believe it was what, Alpha Diallo, and uh, I thought uh, I thought that was very entertaining. And you know, overall, I thought it was an intriguing product. Sometimes, some people I've talked to, they would complain. They thought, you know, do we really have to know this? It was kind of distracting a little bit. And I said, yeah, it, it can, you can see it that way. But also, maybe once a year, you kind of take a step back and get into the inner circle of what the nuts and bolts are of a team. And, you know, Fox Sports 1, to their credit, and the Big East, they were able to take us behind the curtain, so to speak, and show us what goes into a, a Big East basketball game. Yeah, just to give uh, give some, some readers their their opinions to get on here. So I put up a poll um, uh, the, the next day. Did you enjoy the mic'd up game Friday night? I guess it's maybe a few days later. 330 people voted, 89% said yes. Uh, some of the comments, kind of a, a mixed bag, but kind of some similar threads going through. Uh, Pat O'Brien, I did enjoy it and would like to see more during the season. Ed mic'd up 
has got to be great a great recruiting tool. Only downsides, I imagine, is fairly distracting for the coach. I often found myself following Ed more than the game. So that's interesting. I thought I sort of share a lot of that. Uh, Chuck, one of my buddies, yes, but one time per year for any given team is probably enough. Distracting and just loud, but interesting as well for sure. Uh, it was definitely distracting at first, but I got used to it, says Tommy Larson. Uh, Meg O'Keefe, shout out to Meg. Uh, love to hear the emotion in their voices, plus they said some funny shit. Interesting, I agree. Certainly uh, the vampire stuff, as you mentioned, was picked up a little bit by some of the national media. Uh, Paul Mondor provided great insight into how many moving parts a college coach has to manage. Also put Ed Cooley's great sense of humor on display. Now, that's interesting because I feel like sometimes, I think that maybe, aside from the potential for uh, recruiting, you getting getting to see Cooley really with his players in that environment, um, I think the other really interesting aspect for people who don't get to sit next behind the bench or, behind, or next to the bench like some people uh, do at the dunk or, or elsewhere is that I think people really get to see there there is a lot of X's and O's that go into the, uh, a game like that and, and how technical Cooley is in the huddle with the players and how they, especially Cartwright has such an understanding. It's clear he's directing people. He's in the huddle. He's saying, well, we haven't run this yet. Let's run that. And for Cooley to respect his senior's opinion like that, I think that's really cool to see. Um, I, I don't know if you have any further thoughts on that one, Chris. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. It was it was gave some pretty cool insight on how he lets his team kind of determine some things on their own and how he much he puts in uh, in the seniors. Uh, also, just another little tidbit that I noticed that I had noticed just from being at games over the last couple of years and, and watching him as a coach, uh, but his Cooley's little little head nods and uh, kind of like twitches during the games kind of got exposed a little bit, which was funny to notice close up because you always see when he watches, you know, the flex offense develop or he watches them on the defensive end. He just does these little quick, tiny nods to himself, which is his has been his tendency for the last four to five years. Um, having that zoomed in was kind of interesting. It almost made me a little anxious watching him. It, you know, it was just a nonstop head twitch, but that was another thing that I, that I noticed and kind of focused on for a little bit. All right. So then we'll, we'll look ahead here to Providence's win at home against uh, Butler 70, 60 Jalen Lindsay, huge at the end of the first half with those two big threes in the last minute and a half or so closed the gap down to four heading into halftime. And then Alpha Diallo woke up after an 0 and seven first half was very, very impressive in the second half. Providence started the second half 8 of 8 from the field, 16 of 22 overall in the second half. Kyron Cartwright led the way, double-double, 18 points, 11 assists, 15 of his 18 points in the second half. As we mentioned earlier, Khalif Young started in place of Nate Watson, who's still dealing with the flu. Cooley indicated Watson had missed the, uh, been out of practice a couple days before, still dealing with the sickness. Um, interesting game Saturday. Like I mentioned about Max Struess before, it sounded it just seemed like Ed Cooley has decided he's going to pull a Belichick and just try to take away the other team's best option, and he did that against Keelan Martin, who uh, did not score in double figures after he had 37 points the last time out against Marquette. Um, just one thing to mention, uh, the crowd. Uh, I know Chris was mentioning before we started recording that uh, good to have the student section back because the crowd was um, on TV, came across very well. I uh, know they were near near a sellout again. I think twelve thousand six 
hundred or so in that ballpark. So uh, Ed Cooley mentioned it after the game, but uh, another big win, four and two in the Big East. Yeah, what stood out to me in the uh, at least in the second half of the Butler game was how Ed Cooley basically drew a line in the sand and went with six players after going with a nine-man rotation in the first half. You know, it's almost like he realized Nate Watson had been feeling under the weather, hadn't really practiced much. Makai Ashton Langford was struggling. Uh, Drew Edwards wasn't really uh, providing much of a spark. And Ed Cooley went with the starters for the first almost seven-plus minutes of the second half, and that's when PC really made it surge and you know brought Isaiah Jackson in off the bench to at least close the game. But the key to me was like the play of Khalif Young. He was very solid, eight points, eight rebounds. Maybe the obviously the best game he's had in Big East play. Maybe the best game he's had all season. That's what stood out to me. Yeah, I mean it's it was similar to their approach over the last couple of games. You know, early on in the year, Providence, like you talked about before, they they had an issue early on in the season with other teams' star players. Um, you know, even against teams like Ryder and and against teams like Brown and stuff, you know, they were getting beat, you know, whether they're winning the game or losing the game, the star player on the other team, the leading scorer on the other team was able to do, you know, basically whatever they wanted um, on the offensive end. And they've done a nice job changing that, you know, they shut down Struess against DePaul and, and Merrick kind of, they let him score. They kind of did the same thing with Kamar Baldwin um, on Monday and he was you know, phenomenal. He 25 points and he had seven rebounds. Um, and he was good, but Keelan Martin was coming off one of the best games of his career at DePaul and he had six points. It was three for 13 from the field. And I think they did a really good job with him and kind of letting Baldwin do his thing and knowing that, you know, Martin was their guy. And they, that's who their focus needed to stay on. Um, and so that was awesome. You know, Diallo and Cartwright came alive in the second half. They need those two guys to, to be going as, as everyone knows, you know, they got to be, uh, some of their main contributors, and they were they were great. I thought Isaiah Jackson quietly again was was very good. He was five for six from the line. He played eighteen minutes. He only had seven points, but he had seven big rebounds. He was you know playing kind of bully ball underneath sometimes, which was huge. And for the first time in a while, Khalif Young was pretty big underneath. And you know maybe that's the Emmett Holt effect and having Emmett Holt back there to tell him you know to body up underneath. But he was great. He had eight rebounds, uh, eight points. He was. Four for five from the field, he had two blocks, I think, um, on the one possession, which was pretty great. But um, it was great to see him play strong underneath and step up when needed because, you know, Nate was still um, still sick and still battling the flu or, or whatever's going on there. So I thought it was a great, great second half. And, and they still played pretty good on defense, you know, in the, in the first half. They were still in striking distance, only down four. You know, they shot like 30% or something like that in the first half. And so the fact that they were only down four going into the second half was huge. And then they just were, were awesome in the second half. They outscored them 45, 31 and, and the crowd was into it and they kept feeding off of them. And it was, it was just a, it was an all around effort in the second half. So it was a nice win and definitely a big time step in the trek to 10 big East wins. Yeah. Four and two. So four and two through six. I think that's about where I would have expected just blindly not considering who they beat, who they lost. I think four and two is realistic through six uh and then so obviously they have 12 more to go to get to get at least at least uh six more wins so you, you go finish out the season 500 and you're probably in the NCAA tournament fairly comfortably maybe not a, a four or five seed like people may have hoped but 
I think as long as they, at this point, having dealt with some injuries with obviously Emmett Holt and Cartwright's been hobbled, they've had Diallo out, Malik White, who I, I expect may play Saturday, though uh, no, no official word on that yet. He just seemed like he, he started practicing a little bit last week, so he's obviously pretty close to at least getting back on the floor in some capacity. So that's an addition coming back. He looks pretty good in warm-ups, too, on, on Monday. He, he was moving around pretty well, better than he has been over the last week or so. Yeah, so I think that's – I think you'll you'll probably – just I haven't heard anything or seen anything, but I, I think given the fact that there's been nearly a week since the last game, I think you'll see him barring any setbacks on Saturday. Um, but interesting angle uh, that Cooley has been employing here and it, mixing the man in the zone a little bit and really focusing on the other team's best player, which has has been a problem with you know over the last obviously Mark maybe Marcus Howard was the the thing that that really solidified this his game plan where he just went off fifty two and they realized they need to just contain the best offensive player and whoever it is and allow a secondary or tertiary piece to kind of get some get some points that you know in the end of the the because sixty points. DePaul, I think, has been putting up, like, they were averaging like 87 or 88 points a game coming into this game, and the over-under was 147. So went significantly under at 130, obviously. So Providence's defense, I think, as much or more than the fact that they're healthy and Cartwright's playing well and Bullock's been solid and Diallo and Jackson have been playing pretty well, Lindsey's shooting well. I think the, the possibly even the larger story, or at least it's right there, has been Providence's defense. I mean, really, that that's won them uh, a few of the last games that they. I mean, certainly Xavier. I think that was an under-talked about thing. They, the defense was so good. The zone was was really the best that I've seen them play a zone uh, was against Xavier, and and they've just been solid. And rebounding has been better. It's still not great, but it's been better. Um, obviously, Khalif Young you mentioned having a pretty good rebounding night against Butler. Bullock has been solid. Pretty much, you can pencil him in for like seven to ten rebounds every single game. And interestingly, um, they've been playing a lot of the smaller lineups. Uh, part of it, I think, is because the five guys have been pretty ineffective. But also matchups. Cooley seems, and their offense has just been so much better when they're playing the smaller lineup with Bullock at the five, Lindsey at the four. Um, so they've managed to continue to play high-level defense while having the smaller lineup in. The smaller lineup was the the catalyst behind the 22 nothing run that got them back into the DePaul game and put them over the top. So they've been, they've managed to figure out a way to play solid defense and have the lineup they want for offense that has been much more efficient than getting really not much out of the five spot uh, beyond maybe Watson getting 8 or 10 points or 15 points against a smaller a smaller inside guy. So interesting to see going forward if this formula continues, obviously Creighton on Saturday. Um, some very skilled players uh, who kind of did what they wanted against Providence the last time. I think I believe I wrote going into the Xavier game was how PC had struggled against the opposition's top score. And it was it was a growing problem. You know, when a player scores 52 points, that's when you really uh, the antenna really goes up. But ever since uh, Marcus Howard went off of 52 points, I think PC and Ed Cooley has done a, a very solid job in terms of holding the opposition's top score in check. I mean, Martin coming in, averaging what Big East leading 25 points per game, coming off a 37-point barrage. I mean, those are the type of players that are 
easy to pick out of a lineup because they're the, because they score so many points. They're at the top of the scouting reports, but defending them has was an issue for the Friars earlier this season. But they certainly uh, done a better job. And also, it probably attributes to the health of the group too. Somebody like an Alpha Diallo, who's uh, long and lanky and um, can guard multiple positions. The emergence of Isaiah Jackson getting more and more comfortable and as a result getting more and more minutes. I think that also has to uh, play a factor in PC doing a better job against the opposing team's top scorers. Yeah, you know, I I was not a huge fan of the smaller lineup earlier in the year. You know, I wasn't crazy about Bullock at the five, but um, I've been proven very wrong, especially over the last three games. It's It really showed against Xavier, the smaller lineup dropping into the zone and the activity in that zone and the active hands it's I haven't seen something like that on a Cooley coach team in a while um and obviously it worked I mean they stunted Makura and Blewett in that game uh Blewett didn't even score in the second half and Xavier and it worked against Struess and it worked against Keelan Martin and it's just it's they're able to be more active and their rotations have been tight they can make some pretty solid switches which they weren't doing in their earlier earlier on in their non-conference schedule they've really improved that I don't know if that's because they're more healthy um, as of late, or if it's just practice and meshing together as a team uh, without Emmett underneath. But they've been able to really use that smaller lineup effectively, and, and Rodney's been able to play big, like you said. He's good for six or seven boards at least a game, which is huge, um, you know, and you need him underneath like that. Uh, so I, I love it, and, and it's just a lot of energy on defense. And I think at home, you know, I, I say it a lot about the home crowd, but that's a big factor. They can really feed off the crowd, and I think when the crowd is, you know, standing up on defensive stands and they're on a run and stuff, it really brings out a lot of energy on the defensive end and, uh, and it is a huge difference maker. So I have, you know, loved what they've done on the defensive end as of late, especially against their stars. It'll be interesting against Creighton, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a few, to see kind of how they handle Marcus Howard. I know he had 18 the last time and had a pretty big first half against them. Uh, maybe they'll try and force uh, Martin Crampool to – you know, maybe do a little bit Kyrie Thomas to do a little bit and focus on Foster. It'll be interesting to see how they handle that because all three of those guys average double figures. So that'll be interesting. But on a positive note, uh, their defense has been hugely active and really, really great as of late. Yeah, we might as well go there now. Uh, Creighton 14-4 and four right now, 4-2 and two in the Big East. So they're playing, uh, as we record this tonight, they're playing uh, yeah, playing Seton Hall tonight uh, later on this evening after we record. So... Um, the record obviously will change, but uh, as of right now, Marcus Foster leading scorer, eighteen point eight a game. As you mentioned, Kyrie Thomas and Martin. I feel like I should have nailed this already. Uh, Crampell. Uh, so he uh, he also in double figures at twelve point three a game. So they uh, pretty balanced scoring, but Foster obviously pretty explosive as you mentioned. Um, Cooley and Greg McDermott, good friends. So uh, always an interesting matchup when these two teams play. Providence has done pretty well against Creighton at home in Big East play uh, since since the Blue Jays joined the league. So uh, I think the uh, the number will probably be pretty tight for this game, uh, obviously pending what happens against Seton Hall. But uh, I always find these games to be fun and interesting because Creighton runs very fun offense. Greg McDermott allows them to kind of get up and down and, and allow his guards to sort of just just take over. Um, although, you know, they still have, and they just shoot a ton of threes, which is always kind of fun. Um, but I don't know what you're, what you're most concerned about, uh, for Providence heading into this game against Creighton. 
you know, it's uh, it should be a relatively easy scouting report. It's almost like you're dusting off what happened. They played each other on New Year's Eve, and uh, you know, great shot, ten out of thirty from three point range that day. You know, Toby Hegner, can you you know you got to stay with us, somebody like him? He kind of hurt PC, and that day, and uh, obviously Marcus Forster, he's uh, you know, he's like the Marcus uh, For- Marcus Howard of uh, you know Creighton. I mean, a Marquette, I should say, just uh, because he's a top scorer and he commands a lot of attention. So maybe regarding the three-point line, something that PC has traditionally done very well under Red Cooley, I think that will uh, come into play on Saturday. Well, my initial concern when they played Creighton the first time around was, obviously, Marcus Foster is always a concern. You know, he's most likely going to get his, and that's something you're just going to try and limit. You can't really totally stop him, so you're just going to try and limit him. Um, my other major concern was Crumpool. Um, he's one of the more athletic bigs in the Big East, um, which earlier on in the season was causing some issues for Nate Watson and Khalif Young. You know, he's a guy who can really stretch out and um, he shoots threes a decent amount for for a guy his size. He's six nine, like two twenty two, twenty five. So he's a bigger kid, um, but he's a stretch kind of a Euro style big who who can cause some problems for a stay at home big like Khalif but you know you go back to what we've been talking about playing Rodney at the five and Jalen at the four and going with that smaller lineup that kind of eliminates a major threat there for crown pool to do a lot of damage um so I think that kind of covers that I wouldn't be surprised if he has a decent day though um with the way things have been going lately I I would hope that they would focus on limiting Foster and maybe turn towards Kyrie Thomas or crown pool but I mean you know Creighton's a great team they are extremely, extremely effective on the offensive end. They don't turn the ball over a lot. Um, and they can get to the rim pretty easily, even though they do shoot a lot of threes. So um, I would say just limiting them for the most part on offense is is tough. They're a team kind of similar to Marquette in my mind in terms of efficiency. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. They don't have very long possessions. They're up-tempo, which Providence does like to run. They're pretty up-tempo as well. But um, Maybe they'll try and slow them down a little bit and kind of take them out of it. Because once Providence gets into that half-court defense, they've been pretty successful as of late. So that would be my biggest concern is being able to slow them down and force them into a half-court offense. Yeah, I think that's looking – I mean, I haven't done a ton of uh, in-depth yet um, on this game. But just my initial thought with Creighton is usually try to try to slow it down, try to play a half-court game. Not that they're bad in the half-court, but um, you mentioned the possession – uh, just to give people an idea, Providence does not play overly slow, and Providence's average possession length is 16.9 seconds, which is about middle of the road in terms of Division One basketball. Creighton averages 14.7 seconds. That's the eighth shortest possession in college basketball. So they really like to push. Very efficient on offense, pretty efficient on defense, considering they don't really have um, a world-beater type of situation. But they just do everything kind of right. They limit offensive rebounds. They uh, they keep you off the free throw line. Uh, so just, you know, it, always a tough matchup. I think Ken Palm has Creighton winning 78-77 right now. Um, so that's, you know, another tight Big East game. They're all going to be this way the rest of the way. And obviously looking ahead to after Saturday, very difficult stretch. Three on the road at Villanova, at Seton Hall, at Marquette. Uh, so to get a fifth win right now to go to five and two, if they can beat Creighton on Saturday, would be very important to their drive to ten, as I've been talking about. Um, 
they really need, I think 10 wins is, is pretty much a lock to get them in the NCAA tournament. Their numbers are pretty good. I think the RPI is 39 right now. So you're talking about 12 more games. you got to get six more wins. These three on the road, if you can steal one on the road, more power to you. Winning at Villanova, always hard, even though it's at Wells Fargo because they don't really have the pavilion this year. Um, Seton Hall is a Wednesday night game at the Prudential Center, so you know you never know there, but Delgado is such a tough matchup, and their guards are so good. And then Providence has really not done well historically at Marquette. So winning Saturday, I think winning against Butler Saturday was bigger in terms of making sure that they didn't drop back to 500, and you know you always got to defend your home floor. Creighton just drip, dropping out of the uh, top 25 after they lost to Xavier, so they they're, went from 25 to 26 in the most recent poll. But uh, getting the win Saturday would be would be a nice a nice little uh, winning streak heading into this difficult road road uh, trip, which could easily go zero and three. So uh, I think that that's that's why this game is maybe more important than an average Saturday home game in January for Providence. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, it it would just be so nice to get this make this a four game winning streak to jump onto this road trip because it's a brutal road trip. They go. Um, Tuesday, what is it? So it's Tuesday at Nova, the following Wednesday at Seton Hall, and then that's Saturday at Marquette. And they're all on the road. Like, that's a tough, tough schedule. Um, so, you know, not to be a negative Nancy here, but you could totally see them going 0-3 on that road trip, like you said. Um, so that would make this Saturday game that much bigger. You know, Monday's win against Butler was obviously huge for that reason. Um, ideally, they come off this road trip and win back-to-back games at home against Georgetown and DePaul, you know, pending any, you know, I think they should win those games. Um, And then they face Villanova again, and then Butler and Seton Hall. So it's another tough three-game stretch. So, yeah, if they could find a win in one of these three games coming up uh, in that road trip, that'd be great. But it all starts Saturday against Creighton. It would be a huge win uh, just to set them off on the right foot uh, on a four-game winning streak heading into Nova. That would be Ideal, you know they won at they've they've won at Nova in the past. Obviously, they're uh, they're not a tough they they are a tough team. Um, so, but this would be a nice nice kind of cushion going on to this road trip if they could win on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, uh, Ed Cooley has talked about it all the time about making sure that you defend the home court. No worse than maybe going eight and two at home. PC is kind of uh, you know. In terms of that uh, prognostication, you know, losing to Marquette, as devastating that was, they probably picked that back up with a huge win against Xavier. You know, staying the course against Butler this past Monday, but you know, you don't want to stub your toe going uh, into Saturday against Creighton because, like you said, a, a big three-game road trip is looming. With one of those games being at right now the number one team in the country, Villanova. Yeah, five and two looks a lot better than four and three when. Those are the next three games. Um, the last thing I just wanted to uh, discuss before we sign off this week, uh, Rodney Bullock. We, we talked a lot about Bullock in the beginning of the year, being very up and down. You get good Rodney some nights, you get bad Rodney other nights. I would think I, I would contend that I think that lately we've gotten solid Rodney. He's just been very, he hasn't been great, he hasn't been bad, pretty solid. And I think his solid play, being able to play the five, and the balanced scoring that they've been able to to put together around him, I think this is the ideal situation for Rodney Bullock. He doesn't have to score 25. He can score 12 to 17, get eight rebounds, play 35 minutes, and 
the, and that's enough for them to win. I think that's that's where he wants to be. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, it's, I mean, since the beginning of the season, when we I think when we talked about Rodney Bullock, especially after the Houston Baptist and Minnesota game where he scored in single digits, and we were wondering, okay, is Rodney Bullock going to get on track? We we said the answer is yes. We've seen that. He's had, what, a 30-point game, I believe, right before the Big East play against uh, Sacred Heart. And we thought that, okay, maybe he's going to have to prepare to take on a greater workload because of injuries to uh, Diallo and Cartwright and not knowing what their situations were health-wise. I think maybe that stretch where there was no Diallo and Cartwright was in and out of the lineup, that told Rodney Bullock that, okay, it's really all on you to shoulder this uh, the scoring burden, or at least the majority of it. And since uh, the return of near health, full health for the Friars, he's been maybe the most efficient that we've seen him in his three years at PC, Rodney Bullock. Yeah, and he's been, I think the word I would use is engaged, because a lot of times he was not he was not engaged. On the defensive end, it would kind of take possessions off, and there was questionable shots where he would just kind of, you know, just float around on offense, and he wasn't engaged. But as of late, on the defensive end, he's active. He's right in the thick of that zone, and maybe it's because he has a bigger role in defense because he's been playing that five. And so maybe he's taken on more responsibility, so he feels the need to be more active. Not really sure what it is, but I would definitely agree in saying this is probably the best stretch consistency-wise and engagement-wise um, of Rodney Bullock. And I think it's really ideal. You know, he's played – he didn't play against Marquette, but if you go back to the Creighton game, the last four games he's been 30-plus minutes. He's had, uh, I think, 12-12 and 12 the last two games, and before that it was 15-17, and 17, and he's getting, you know, six-plus rebounds a game. And, and he's – it's it's really – his efficiency is good, and it's just – it's good to see – him doing this because they really need him down the stretch and the fact that he is able to do this without having to score 28 points a game is is huge so I think it allows him to focus a little bit more on playing that five and kind of being a cornerstone of their defense um, and maybe takes a little pressure off of him on the offensive end and kind of lets him do his thing but remain engaged so yeah I would definitely agree he's he's been tremendous All right, great job guys Back here in the studio after uh, the discussion we had between Brendan, Chris, and I, I want to give a shout-out here to Brendan, something I forgot to mention while we were recording. Brendan was named the 2017 Rhode Island Sports Writer of the Year by the National Sports Media Association. Not Brendan's first award, won't be his last. Uh, special shout-out to Brendan there. I want to give everybody a little heads-up on the timing here. We had a little issue uh, obtaining the audio, so we recorded uh, Wednesday night prior to Creighton's game against Seton Hall. Uh, Creighton with a big-time big win uh, against Seton Hall at home. But unfortunately, they did lose Martin Crample, who uh, they announced on Thursday does in fact have a torn ACL, and he will miss the rest of the season. So they lose their third-leading scorer, one of the guys who was in double figures. He had 13 points against Providence last time out. But uh, obviously, big loss for them. As we discussed, pretty quick turnaround. After Saturday, Providence plays Tuesday night down in Philadelphia at Villanova at the Wells Fargo Center. But they do get a little bit of a break, about a week off uh, to practice and rest before they have to travel down to Seton Hall January 31st, Wednesday night at the Prudential Center. So keep your eyes peeled for uh, maybe a podcast early in the week next week to talk Villanova and to recap Saturday's game against Creighton. 
and then uh, we have a little bit of time in between, so could be doing maybe we'll do some recruiting talk. Maybe we get uh, some gambling action in here. As of right now, Ken Palm has Creighton beating Providence 78-75. So uh, Providence, uh, the line will be out Friday afternoon, most likely around 2, 3 p.m. So keep your eyes on PCBB1917.com. I'll have the uh, the opening line post up at some point tomorrow afternoon. And uh, I expect Providence to be a small dog at home. Um, but uh, you could could also see it opening maybe at a pick or, or Providence even minus one because Ken Palm not really factoring in Cranepool's injury. And Creighton really is a different team uh, on the road. I think we kind of touched on it a little bit in the discussion before. But they really uh, dominated Seton Hall uh, at the CenturyLink Center on Wednesday night. That doesn't really seem to translate as much on the road for the Blue Jays. If that if that 78-75 score in Kempom is to be thought of, uh, to be an accurate gauge of where Vegas is going to be heading for for an opening total, you'd think it'd be in the low 150s. Uh, they opened, as I mentioned before, 147 uh, against Butler and went way under at 130. Providence's defense has been very good, especially at home. Creighton not as good on the road. I would maybe look at to see if that does open around 150, 152 in that ballpark. Maybe taking a little bit on the under there. Could be an interesting play. I also wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of line movement for this game just because a lot of times the books are, are sort of just going a lot off analytics and the metrics like Ken Palm. And so if they open at a number like like my, uh, Creighton minus two, people might look at that and scratch their heads a little with Providence being at home on a win streak and Creighton just losing one of their better scores. And that, you know you could see some money flood in on the Friars there, getting two two or three points at home. So interesting angle. Keep an eye on the Twitter. I'll be updating with uh, with the uh, the bet tickets as I come in. Percentage of spread bets, as I talked about in the last podcast. Always interesting to keep an eye on where the money's going and who's picking who, how much, what the percentages are, how much money is on the money line, the over, the under, the spread. Just as a reminder for everybody, this game is on CBS Sports Network, not on Fox Sports 1. So CBS Sports Network, it'll be Tom McCarthy and Jordan Cornett on the call. You can also obviously get the radio broadcast, John Rook, Joe Hassett, uh, WEI 103.7 FM and uh, Friars.com. You can also find them on TuneIn, and obviously you can always check out Friar TV for audio and video needs. He is back from vacation. That son of a bitch had to take a vacation. Really, I mean, who does he think he is? But should be a good crowd on Saturday, less than 500 tickets uh, as of Thursday afternoon. So it should be close to a sellout. Hope everybody uh, gets out to the dunk. Safe uh, safe trip there, safe trip home. Should be a big game. We'll talk to everybody next week. Don't forget to subscribe to the Providence Friarcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Follow Mike, follow Mike Hopkins on Twitter and Instagram. At PCBB1917. Like the Facebook page. And as always, stay classy, Friartown.